Welcome to Steel Stories by US Steel. In this podcast, we explore the wealth of knowledge from leading industry experts to help you navigate the infinitely developing, renewable world of steel. Welcome back to Steel Stories, the podcast series from US Steel. My name is David Kirkpatrick. I'm your host. And today I'm really pleased we have a longtime steel industry veteran who's now turned his career towards worker safety in the industry, Doug Matthews. Welcome, Doug. Pleasure to be with you, David. Doug is Chief Growth Officer at Guard Hat, which is a digital industrial safety company, and he'll tell us a lot about what that means. But he was also a longtime a veteran, senior executive at U.S. Steel. His last job was Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial and Technology Officer. So he really knew and knows a lot about the company that sponsors this podcast and this industry. So we're really happy to have an industry veteran here who's really a now an expert on safety. So thanks again, Doug. So let's just start out by talking about what it's like to work in a steel plant. I mean, that's got to be something most people don't fully appreciate. So one of the things I loved about you know the steel production process is each step of the process is distinctly different. And being distinctly different presents different hazards that employees and the company has to deal with. And everything from mining to coke making to blast furnaces, steel shops, et cetera. It's generally a very hot environment. You know, there's high process temperatures and couple that with high ambient temperatures. Generally pretty work intensive. There can be physical exertion that can get pretty high depending on the work tasks of the day. There's toxic gases that could be in the area that the employee has to, to mitigate and deal with, but it's generally hot sweaty. It's a pretty intense, hardworking environment. Well, we're glad people are doing that because we all use steel products every day. Well, talk about the safety challenges that a steel plant presents. Yeah. So the safety challenges, there's, you know, it's a high risk environment and my hat's off and I commend the workers that go out there every day. And really, I think are really focused on making sure that they themselves can work and be safe throughout the workday, as well as looking out for their co-workers. You know, the hazards can range from being in areas where there's mobile equipment, crane activities, lifting, awkward lifting positions, could be high kind of work exertion, you know, type activities that could lead to soft tissue injuries, extensive use of tools, coordinating, you know, work amongst a work team could present, you know, hazards as well as ways to mitigate those risks as well. So you've now been at Guard Hat a couple of years. It seems like there's kind of a revolution happening in worker safety. So why do you talk a little bit about what you saw in terms of the safety challenges over your many years in the industry and how safety is changing now in the digital era? Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting question. And I reflect back on it on a fairly regular basis. So, but one of the things that I think, you know, to companies like U.S. Steel, and there's other companies out there as well, that take safety as top priority day in and day out every hour of every day, and has done an incredible job to, to be able to, through enhancements in PPE, to help protect the worker, through administrative controls, to for training and writing safe job procedures, and, and really deep engagement with the work teams on kind of getting their perspective and input and insights on how to do the job safely providing the necessary equipment and the right tools to be able to execute the work. The one thing I think that I see now looking on the outside 
you know, the technology evolution that, you know, is underway is technology that we largely have grown dependent on our personal life, you know, doesn't, hasn't really made it to the shop floor in a meaningful way. And it's starting to happen now, but I think, you know, being able to be at a company like Gardat, that is actually making it simpler to be able to deploy technology to provide for a better work environment for the workers you know, is something that I think is it's an inflection point and it's starting to accelerate. Yeah. So, I mean, it's true. Our daily lives, almost every one of us and probably everyone is listening to this because they're listening to a podcast. They're got to be a little bit digital. Our lives have just changed completely. And we take for granted all this connectivity, constant flow of information. But what it seems is starting to happen is that some version of that is finally getting into the industrial workplace, and you do work in other industries besides steel. So talk a little bit about the what's happening now as the digital economy, the digital you know human landscape gets into industrial contexts. Well, and I, I think a lot of companies you know share you know the safety first mentality like U.S. Steel does, and they're driving for to be better tomorrow than they were today. And I think that to, to some extent, technology is the enabler. For them to be able to take that next big step, I mean, there's a lot of factors that goes into adopting digital technology. You know, one, you have to have worker buy-in. You know, you have to have a willingness from the worker to say, you know, I'm going to wear that device. That device can add value to the work I perform. Help me to go home safe today. At the end of the day, help my coworkers. So you need to get worker buy-in. But once you do that, then you start to build out the capability around the customized solution that you're trying to solve for. And when I think about like the hierarchy of controls, for example, so you have PPE at the very foundational level, you have administrative controls, which is moving up the hierarchy, and then you get into engineered solutions and, and technology enables engineered solutions. So it gives you the ability to train workers faster to help workers perform situational analysis with a little bit of help, you know, from digitized procedures that are being used in a particular work activity. And it helps them to, as they concentrate on specific work activities, maybe they lose some of their situational analysis and real-time data collection, you know, in the work environment allows them to get that voice in their ear to say, fork truck approaching you know, on the right-hand side, for example. So they might hear a fork truck approaching or they get an alert to say that there's a piece of mobile equipment that's encroaching in their safe zone. And now they are dedicate some attention to that as well. So I think technology is, is accelerating. And I think the willingness to adopt it in the industrial workplace is also accelerating. And I'm excited about the possibilities on how it can take big leaps forward to drive better safety performance. Well, we've also seen a lot of evolution in technology for sensors of all sorts. And I assume that one of the things that is included in the kind of technologies that are becoming available are temperature and gas sensors and things like that. Is that correct? And what are some, maybe any other examples of that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, so when I talk about categories of devices, that's right on point. So there's devices that analyze you know, the ambient temperature conditions but that data input by itself may not be ultimately helpful, right? So there are biometric devices. They can now look at employees' you know, skin body temperature and heart rate. They'll do proprietary calculations to predict early onset heat stress, for example. 
know, there's devices in ergonomics that's analyzing body posture when lifting and exertion is taking place to help help the employee, you know, mitigate any you know potential strains and sprains as they're performing their work activity. There's fall detection. There's actually location tracking. You know that if an employee needs help, where to respond. It's not search and rescue anymore. It's just purely rescue. And to your point, you have radiation detectors. You have gas detectors. You have collision avoidance type detectors. There's a whole wave of categories of devices in different form factors that are entering the market as we speak. So, and I guess you know those device, all those kinds of devices could exist on their own or be integrated into a system. One of the things that's interesting about Guard Hat is the evolution of the company in recent years. So maybe you should tell us a little bit about that because you've really gone from being a device maker to sort of a platform that will aim to integrate just that kind of range of things, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's spot on. So Guard Hat was founded in 2014. A steel industry veteran formerly worked at Severstall North America as CEO, Psychic Day, founded the company based on you know the experiences that he had with dealing with safety in the work environment in steel manufacturing. And the form factor that he chose happened to be a full brim art hat. And devices that were integrated into the hard hat included audio, video, location tracking, fall detection, device not worn, atmospheric sensors, at one time it even had a gas detector in it. And it was a really became a smart hard hat. They allowed for the worker to collect data around the work environment, but have it real-time connected through a guard hat built IoT platform. And that platform was the enabler for guard hat to transition to being a software platform company. Because of the diverse devices that were embedded within the art hat, it gave it the ability to be device agnostic, to be category of device agnostic, to be brand agnostic, and really simplify the approach towards adopting technology in the industrial workplace by creating a device marketplace and a solutions library that allows you to select the category device, select the form factor, and then stitch together customized solutions that meet specifically the needs of your work environment. And that's really how Guard had evolved over that time period. That's super interesting. So I guess some, depending on the workplace, some industrial manufacturers might want to just have temperature and fall detection. Others might need the gas or radiation. So in a way, what a platform presumably will enable then is sort of innovation to happen independently in each of those areas so that you know a customer could integrate whatever the best thing at the moment is in the areas their particular workplace demands. Is that the right way to think about it? I think you nailed it. I think with most manufacturing facilities, not just steel, but most manufacturing facilities, hazards are different depending on the step of the operation and the work area. That, and it could even be seasonally hazards change. Or if it's a construction project, depending on the phase of construction, that types of hazards can change. So having the ability to bring to the field the types of devices that are necessary to mitigate risks under that phase or in that step of the process while at the same time being able to take a different device to a different work area and allow employees to have a, a solution built you know, that helps them mitigate those risks with a single pane of glass. And it provides a simplicity that the market is starting to really 
I think you expect. When these systems are deployed, is there like a control room or somebody, is there sort of a, a remote monitoring ecosystem? How does that work? Are there just automatic alarms that go off? It, say something goes wrong, how does the company know and what are the systems that they use to respond? Yeah, we refer to it as a rules engine. All right, so when we're onboarding a new client, a new customer, maybe a new application within an existing customer, you know, we sit down with their safety and operations and their work crews, and we talk about how do you want this data to be used? What are the rules that you want to establish that are specific to how you mitigate this risk? What are your SJPs? How can we model your SJP into a rules-based algorithm that allows us to take raw data, run in the background, doesn't require any human interface and be able to generate alerts or escalation of notifications. And we create that custom template you know, for that particular client. And then at the same time, we do have an interface that we use for administrative purposes and it can provide real-time monitoring as well, but it's not required. So it's the customer's choice on how they want to use the system and how much they want to have to interact in it, hour to hour, day to day, et cetera. And then once you get the data, from all the devices over time, you can start to generate canned reports that get emailed out on a periodic basis so that you actually don't have to dive through the data to figure things out and just have customized reports that can be automatically generated for you. So really it's an example of you know one of the many areas in modern society where software just keeps evolving and the capabilities are evolving very rapidly, which I love. And I assume that if you guys now have a platform and there's I would assume there's a variety of providers that then can plug into that. Does that mean that we're sort of starting to see the emergence of an industrial digital safety industrial ecosystem starting to show its face? Yeah, I mean, the word you just used, ecosystem, is one that we use regularly. You know, So when you think about like the different stakeholders that are developing in this space, right? It starts with the device manufacturers. You know, they invent a device. It has certain features. It collects certain data. They have algorithms that they run in order to help stitch together solutions. But they need some way to have real-time connectivity so that they're able to capture the data, run the algorithms, and advise the worker. You know, then you also have another stakeholder on the other side is the enterprise. It's the workers, right? It's the company that actually is, is subscribing to the service you know, to be able to mitigate risk, improve productivity, ease the work efforts that are performed by the employee. And then you have a variety of stakeholders that are in the middle that are independent software developers, like the SAPs and the Oracles or the IBM Maximos. You have system integrators that really help solve problems, you know, for enterprises. And then you have value-added resellers. So there's a range of stakeholders within the ecosystem. And having the platform that we have that's device agnostic, it's category agnostic, it's connectivity agnostic, gives you the ability to have ultimate flexibility when you have a marketplace and you have a solutions library to be able to customize those solutions. So it really allows each of the stakeholders to play to their strengths. I want to, in a minute, contextualize this in sort of the history of the industry. But before we do, I mean, it's not just used in steel, obviously. Talk about some of the other kinds of industrial environments where this would be appropriate, this kind of thing is needed. Yeah, Garhat has, has really focused. And I think a lot of it has to do just based on you know the team's expertise in dealing with certain verticals. Oil and gas space, you know, where it's needed really strong traction in downstream, midstream, upstream. 
within the mining industry. You know, we're seeing surface mining, you know, is really starting to take off. Then construction, you're dealing with rotating crews, types of crafts, being able to create you know, smart hardware and smart solutions, you know, in those spaces uh, is, is really important. And then beyond that, general manufacturing, you know, there's specific types of hazards that are coming into, I think, pretty strong demand in just general manufacturing as well. Right. I mean, people don't even realize all the, even within the steel industry, the variety of different kinds of industrial workplaces that exist going from mining, U.S. Steel has mining and it also has smelters and all different kinds of steel production facilities, each one of which with its own challenges. But let's sort of stick, go back to steel then. And let's say in a big blast furnace kind of environment, which is the classic, even though the industry is moving towards electrification, we still have a lot of these blast furnaces. You worked in the company all these years. You said before, you don't have to have search and rescue. You just have, now you can just do rescue. But talk a little bit about what it used to be like and what might happen in a downside scenario when somebody was had a problem. Yeah. The blast furnace is one I think that, you know, it has like, I think a really interesting potential risk mitigation opportunity. Wearable devices have been something that blast furnace folks have worn for a long time, right? You know, wearing that gas detector, you know, making sure it's bump tested at the start of the shift, make sure it's properly calibrated the frequency it's supposed to. But it was a device that was issued to an employee to help kind of alert them on the work environment that they're dealing with. But there was really no connected worker version of that, right? So fast forward to what technology today could enable. You have a gas detector that's connected real time. You have a, a device that has a location tracking on it, either through GPS or maybe BLE beacons, you know, et cetera. You have an, an alert come in. It's a high, high alarm. It would notify somebody to check on that person. But you also see a fall detect come in 10 seconds behind that. So now you got two kind of really important alerts that came in and maybe your protocol would be immediately dispatch rescue. And because you know the coordinates of where that person is, you're actually dispatching people to go directly to the location where that person is to provide resuscitation and help. And I think you can be there within a minute or two, whereas the other situation, it could be some time period goes by before you know the employee's in distress. And then you don't know where they are, so it takes time to go find them as well. Yeah, what a contrast. That's really something. It's great that these systems are emerging. You know, a question that inevitably arises when you talk about this kind of thing, especially in a unionized industry, is how do people on the workplace receive this? Do they do you sometimes encounter a concern that, hey, I don't want to be tracked? Or do people say, I know it's dangerous I got to make sure I don't have a bad thing happen. Or is that whole spectrum? Give a little sense of how you think about that and how those conversations go. Well, I think, you know, whenever you start to introduce technology, think about the first time that you went out to the AT&T or Verizon and bought your iPhone, you know, and, and you're thinking about all the privacy expectations that you have and what's happening with the data that is being transmitted from this device that you're not wearing, right? People are skeptical and deserve to be skeptical. We totally understand that. I think you know, whenever you engage with a worker, it doesn't have to be union. It's everybody's personal beliefs or their personal beliefs. And so you sit down and you talk about what the value proposition is. Why should they wear this device? What are we going to do with the data? When you build a trusting relationship with the employee around how it's really intended to help make their work safer. 
and help them get, improve their ability to go home at the end of the day without any injuries. And, and I think in most instances, you generally get good support from the workers. And we've even you know, had great support from the USW as well. So I think if you build a trusting relationship, you hold yourself to that standard, and you really focus on driving safety performance, I think you generally get good support. I guess it also involves making sure that data isn't abused, and that I'm sure is a responsibility that management has to make, I suppose you wipe things as needed, you know, depending on the, the kind of data that you're dealing with. And I hope that's handled. It sounds like it is. Well, and I would just add to that. I mean, one of the really important parts of our platform is the privacy engine. You know, so we can completely anonymize the data from the person wearing the device. We can create the condition will only become available whenever there's an alert for the employee. And in most instances, I think everybody's supportive of, we need to provide support to the employee and get them out of the work environment or provide aid. And most folks are very supportive of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, has leave even speaking bigger than just guard hats data and experience, as these kinds of tools and systems have improved in recent years, has the industry's safety generally improved? Is there statistical evidence that people are getting hurt less kind of thing? I think we're very early on with the adoption. I think that we could cite specific examples where technology's been deployed in a particular area to address a specific kind of solution in that area saw a benefit, right? But on a broader basis, we don't have the scale of deployment to be able to step back and kind of provide those that kind of data. I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we are at an inflection point. We are seeing much stronger interest and demand. And I think over the next few years, you're going to be able to see that kind of data be delivered. Well, talk a little more like that. Yeah, so really we're early, but it's happening fairly quickly and good that it is. We're talking about software and digital connectivity. Talk about some of the other things that are going to be possible as this kind of technology becomes more ubiquitous. For example, predictive stuff or new forms of training. I mean, tell me a little more of what the vision that you have personally of where sort of the digital industrial workplace can go in the future. I think, you know, the, and there's probably an evolution to this and kind of the way I step back and think about it. You know, most of the interest right now is around real-time risk mitigation, right? So it's alerting the worker, you know, based on the situational awareness of how hazards are developing or when a response is needed to support the worker. There's also a component of compliance. Are we wearing proper PPE in the work locations where we're supposed to be wearing it? We're seeing where there's a whole host of categories of smart devices that are being introduced to the marketplace, you know, as we speak. But we're also seeing that next layer of kind of wearable PPE that's now becoming smart as well. So now integrating that into this overall solution allows you to kind of build a much more robust kind of solution around the employee and helping to protect them and mitigate risk. I think that one of the key things I think in the evolution that we're seeing is response times. You know, having the location, knowing exactly when the event occurred and being able to respond immediately to it is critical. But I think the uncharted territory, and even with my industry experience, I have a hard time trying to conceptualize the opportunity is the data, right? So, you know, there's been extensive studies that have been done in many implementations of Industry 4.0, where uh, Industrial Internet of Things has been deployed to drive process improvements, 
and asset health and productivity, yield, quality, fuel efficiency, you know, all those types of things. What we're seeing right now with the, the people, the connected worker side, is how people interact with those processes and, and being able to now have data that is collected on how you can further refine and improve processes at the same time that you're driving safety performance improvements you know, for the employees. So I think kind of in those tiers is where it will ultimately you know, see this evolve to. Right, because the more data, I mean, of course, especially if you're able to anonymize the data so people, again, don't feel like their behavior on you know has to be too closely monitored, but if you can anonymize it and then calculate all kinds of, evaluate past data kind of situations, and then that will allow you presumably to predict how you can be more efficient and safe in the future. That's really what you're saying, right? I think that's spot on. The ability to, to now integrate this data into machine learning, perform data analytics, you know, you, you can find situations where you can kind of connect certain things that weren't able to be connected before because the data wasn't there to do that. And now you're going to drive proactive safety, you know, and drive proactive risk mitigation. Well, maybe it's proactive integration of data within or collected connected worker integrated into process improvements. You know, so there's a whole host of and data analytics opportunities that will be coming down the road. Yeah, talk a little bit more about as we go further into a digitally enabled workplace and digitally connected workers, the kinds of things that you envision could be possible down the road. Give a little more sense of just how much different it could become. Well, I think it's we're in the early phases of this kind of this digital journey. And I think if we're able to drive kind of engineered solutions into kind of the workplace where, and you ultimately mitigate risk and you're actually driving ease of doing work. And I think you can accelerate the learning curve for people that are onboarding. You know, and I know onboarding folks is a big challenge. We're recruiting and, and getting enough people coming in the gates, you know, when you need them to. But then, you know, when they move from department to department, and being able to get them skilled up to be able to perform all aspects of the job. I think a digitally enabled employee, you know, can be more effective faster. And I think ultimately reduce the risk that they have to deal with by over the shoulder advising on how to mitigate risk. And actually even remote expert is another area where being able to real time pull out and live stream, you know, to a, a subject matter expert you know, a certain troubleshooting problem you're trying to deal with or an operational problem, you know, can kind of help accelerate the learning curve for worker and actually get the, the equipment up and operational maybe even faster. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize just how sophisticated is the chemistry and the process system processes that are involved in doing something like making steel. And it really is something that's got to constantly be optimized and tweaked, right? And of course, software is helping with that. But if that can be done even better as more parts of the system are digitized. That's to everybody's benefit, clearly. And this, we are sort of entering into a world of analytics and optimization in society. Uh, and again, of course, we have to worry about, we don't want to be over-optimized as individuals, but we also want to be safer. We want to have more productivity. We want to have uh, more freedom, et cetera. And I think the technology can, because properly used, do that. This is great. Before we wrap, I wanted to ask you, as somebody who has been in the industry for decades, especially given this podcast series is all about 
how the steel industry is changing and evolving, particularly as sustainability and climate concerns become a bigger and bigger part of everyone's awareness and both personal and business priorities. How do you look at the steel industry overall right now in terms of its own big picture evolution? Yeah, I mean, that's a big, broad question and maybe a topic for another podcast. I think the steel industry is taking its carbon footprint very seriously for a really long time. I mean, I remember early on in my career, you know, making capital investments that had substantial reductions in carbon drive energy efficiencies and processes. And I think the investments that companies like US Steel are making now are even big decks, big steps in order to, to get to that carbon neutral position you know, down the road. I think the digitally enabled worker can be additive to helping that process and accelerating that process. Just because I think if you have a digitally enabled worker, you have a worker that is maybe provides for the more consistency, provides for kind of better uptime, you know, provides for less workplace disruptions. I think that when you start to add those things up over time, I think they can be pretty substantial. Well, Doug, thank you so much for bringing your many decades industry expertise and your newfound expertise on digital safety solutions together for what I think was a really interesting conversation. So thank you very much. And to all of you out there, we hope you'll join us again on the next Steel Stories. And I want to thank you and thank you for the opportunity, U.S. Steel, and say a big hello to all my ex-colleagues at U.S. Steel. I'm um, rooting for you every day. Wow, very nice way to end. Thank you so much, Doug. Steel Stories is brought to you by U.S. Steel. To find out more about our sustainable steel solutions and how our best for all strategy allows us to re-envision the future alongside our customers, visit www.ussteel.com. Search for U.S. Steel in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss a future episode. On behalf of the team here at U.S. Steel, thanks for listening. Hi.